Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Bradley, and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are continuing our deep dive into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton and discussing the seventh and the penultimate episode of season one entitled Oceans Apart, which is back on the good episode title train, all right? Going into this episode, I thought there could not be a worse episode title at all. Right, oceans apart, like, yes, Daphne and Simon are mad at each other, they're oceans apart, but then, when it applies to Mr. Granville and his situation, I was like, oh, I'm back on board. So, oceans apart went from worst episode title to great episode title really quickly, but since I'm still ranking them, that is six for seven that Bridgerton has hit with good episode titles. As always, Let's Dive Deep contains adult content. In this episode, for instance... Eloise and the Queen are trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is, while Daphne spends a little bit of time getting whistled down. If you don't want to know what that means, or you don't want to discuss that further, then feel free to tune out of the podcast now. Also, if you are listening to this podcast around children, not nearly as adult content as last episode, but still a lot of things that I am not intending to talk to children about, so I would recommend not putting this podcast on in a car uh, full of all your all your kids. Let's move on. Much like the last six episodes, we will not be spoiling anything past episode seven. We have gone seven-eighths of the way through Bridgerton, so we'll be talking about everything that happened in this episode, re- referencing backwards to episodes we've already watched, but we will not be discussing anything that happens in the finale. I have not watched the finale yet, which is awesome, because I don't know, but just in case you were worried about being spoiled, this is a spoiler-free podcast, so if you are anywhere on your Bridgerton journey, whether you're doing this episode by episode, whether you've already watched the whole thing and you're hopping back in you are totally good to be here there will be no spoilers uh, about anything that happens past episode seven this week was an absolutely massive week for the podcast i have never really done a podcast like this before so i don't know how podcast metric works podcast metrics work it's a lot of s's at one time Um, but this this podcast has been downloaded about 1500 times by the time you're listening to this it's been listened to in over 30 countries and over 40 of the u.s states so you guys are absolutely crazy thank you so much this week we also got our first couple of tweets and emails in there was a bunch of really good emails none of them that i think fit into the conversation for this episode but i have bookmarked a few to talk about for sure they are in my inbox ready to go for kind of the season end review episodes i think there's a lot of good conversation in those emails to have then so i if you have emailed me and i don't talk about it this episode that's because i am saving it for the the season ending episodes i think that's a great place to have some of those discussions i also got a tweet saying that i have the best bridgerton podcast which is the 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 opinion of one person and i think a 25 year old canadian guy is the least likely person to have a good bridgerton podcast but hey I'm glad you're enjoying it. I have not listened to any other Bridgerton podcasts. I don't even know (laughs) if there really are any other Bridgerton podcasts. But if there are, I recommend you give those a shot. I'm sure they'll know more about a lot of things than I do. In any case, I just wanted to thank you guys for the tweets, for the emails. Feel free to keep doing that. Twitter is at Let's Dive Deep. Gmail is Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. I'd love for you to interact. I'd love for you to, to go on there and chat with me about Bridgerton. It, it, it's honestly just such a charming, fun show. I'm having a blast doing this. I'm having a blast interacting with you guys, and I appreciate it a lot. Also, after Bridgerton, we're going to be moving on to other shows that'll be in different podcast feeds. So if you want to know what we will be doing next, uh, Twitter is a good place to be to find out that information when it comes out. 
feel free wherever you are watching to leave a review as well. Uh, it just really helps get the podcast out to more people if you leave a, a review and then say a little blurb about the podcast. Uh, however you want to do that, I would really appreciate it. But also, the, the biggest way podcasts spread are word of mouth. Bridgerton is officially the most popular show ever on Netflix, which might explain why I think the podcast analytics are insane, even though they're probably not, and I've just never done this before. But go tell a friend, go tell your neighbor, go tell your dog, all right? Just go find somebody who you know has watched Bridgerton, send them episode one, Send them episode one. They like it or they don't like it. That's totally fine. But just bring other people into this podcast because I think it's fun. I think it's fun to think about TV shows and really dive deep into them and talk about the characters and talk about the settings and talk about the camera work and the editing. It's a really cool opportunity to take some of our favorite stories and really explore them and dive deep into them, which is the point. So if you know anybody in your life who would enjoy that, feel free to bring them along on the ride. And the best part for them is by the time they're in on it, Almost all the episodes will be released, so they don't have to wait a week for each one, which is just, it's really the best deal if you get brought into it after it's finished. Moving on to the episode now, this was the seventh episode and the penultimate episode, which is just the second last episode of a season, is the penultimate episode of a television season. This was episode seven, the penultimate episode, entitled Oceans Apart, which like I mentioned earlier was an awful title because of how obvious and on the nose I thought it was, but it really... The amount of different things that are oceans apart in this episode, the way that it's Mr. Granville that says that line was really, really cool. And I thought it was just a great little touch in this episode that just because we're focused on uh, Daphne and Simon does not mean other characters don't have strained relationships, don't have other um, feelings of being oceans apart. And I really loved what they did with this episode title and how they maneuvered it into the episode. So I just wanted to call that out. There are just little things that make or break a TV show that you don't really think about and and good episode titles that are that are that are applicable to the episode but kind of throw you for a loop and subvert your expectations a bit i'm such a sucker for that and i loved how they integrated that in this episode this episode was written by Chris Van Dusen, who is also the showrunner. So we are getting the man, the CEO of Bridgerton, uh, in the writer's room today writing this episode. And so that's that's probably why it was so well written. Once we get to the score, you guys will see how much I like this episode. Uh, but Chris Van Dusen coming in hot, writing a phenomenal episode of television. Good work, Chris. This was directed by Ulrich Riley, and it's spelled A-L-R-I-C-K, not like Ulrich. I'm used to it being spelled like Aldrich, but you just drop the D like R-I-C-H, so I just think that's cool. But Ulrich Riley directed this one. I don't think that's a name we've heard before. What's fun about calling out the directors is I don't actually have a list of the other directors from this season, so I'm just trying to make mental notes of a name I recognize, and I don't recognize this one. One of the best and most underrated parts of Bridgerton to me, it's not a complicated show. It's not a show that's ever going to go on IMDb and just smash 10 out of 10 every episode. That's just not what Bridgerton is or what it's trying to be. But at least for me, one of the things I enjoy most is that every episode is better than the last episode. And I think for a TV show, no matter where you start, no matter where you put me, I expect the first episode to be the worst one because of all the exposition. And if you can get better every episode, it almost doesn't matter 
where you start or whether I like your show or not, because as long as it's getting better, I can trust you. I can be along for the ride. I, I know I'm in safe hands. I know I can tune into every episode and, and know that I'm getting a fun hour of my life watching a good TV show. And that's one of the things I really like about Bridgerton. This episode is getting an 8.2 out of 10 for me. Now, I know I'm in the minority in thinking that last episode was one of the better episodes or better than the first five. I, if you go on IMDb and look at the reviews, it seems like a lot of people were pretty down on that episode. I hope I did a good enough job in just explaining why I really liked it in the podcast. But I thought last episode was better than all the ones that came before it. Not a lot of people did, and that's totally fine. Uh, but this episode is even better than last week. I'm going to go with an 8.2 out of 10. It is better than last week. There's a, there's a, there's less moments that feel out of place. And I still really love where we're at with our characters and their relationships. So before we dive deep into this episode and talk about the plot and what's working and what's not working, feel free to kick back. Relax, grab a beverage of sorts. I'm doing a dry February. Uh, the Canadian Cancer Society does a dry February every year as like a fundraiser. So I'm doing a dry February. So I've just got water and Coke Zero today. Normally I have a whiskey. But hey, if you're not doing a dry February, I reckon go go grab some wine. This is a pretty wine type of show. Um, what is There's beer. Anthony drinks a ridiculously small beer in this episode. So feel free to go grab one of those. And we will be back to let's dive deep in just a moment. Tell me why you are so adamant. Because I swore a long time ago that I would never sire a child. I do not understand. My father cared more about the continuation of the Hastings line than anything in the world. More than my mother. More than me. And so I made a vow that his efforts would be in vain. That the lion would die with me. So this is all because of a vow. You made a vow to me, too. Or has our wedding day slipped your mind? I told you. You told me that you could not have children. You did not tell me it was some some token of revenge against a man who no longer walks this earth. I swore to him on his deathbed. And you betrayed me in our marriage bed. Let me be certain I understand. You will neither have children nor the happiness we could have together because you promised your father you would not. I... Say it. Say it. It cannot be undone. Then I thank you for your elucidation, Your Grace. If your hatred for your father outweighs any affection that you might bear towards me, then you are right. It cannot be undone. My courses are due within the next few days. You will know then which vow you have broken and how we are to spend the rest of our lives. Miserable, together perfectly happy part. We are back and it is time to talk about what worked for me in this episode and there are a lot of things. Obviously we're going to talk about them all in more detail as we do a plot breakdown but my list is about seven things long right now which is great if an episode of TV gives me seven different things uh, to really like and, and love and enjoy about the episode. Let's start with some of the smaller ones. The first thing is momentum. Much like the first episode of a season 
carries a lot of the expositional weight and therefore is just a lot of characters talking and saying names and just trying to give you some patterns to recognize and let you know who the characters are and what they're doing and why you should care about the story. The, the penultimate episode, the last episode of the season, the role it plays is to give you momentum for the finale. You need to have momentum. You need to be asking questions going into the finale so the finale can answer those questions. It is something that Game of Thrones absolutely nails. They build momentum throughout the season, and then they come to the climax. They give you a little bit of a debrief time. All of the best books are written that way, too. You keep building momentum. Every page is kind of more fast-paced, and there's more questions, and and everything, it, it, it ramps up, it ramps up, and then you get the climax at the end. And that's what I really loved about this episode, as you leave with so many questions. What's going to happen to Marina? What's going to happen with the fight? You know, Mr. Featherington and Will are out there doing their thing. What's going to happen to Daphne and Simon? Is Eloise going to find out who Lady Whistledown is? Is the Queen going to find out who she is? There's so many questions you have at the end of this episode, going into the finale. And not only... Did they do a good job with the momentum? But it didn't take away from the episode. This episode was fantastic, even with not really answering many of my questions. And that's hard to do. It's hard It's hard to, to leave me with more questions than answers and also make me love the episode. It's, it's what a penultimate episode needs to do. And there's a lot of artistry that went into making this episode great, despite the fact that it's leaving you with more questions than answers. And oh, I just think it, it's such an achievement for this episode, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. You know, this is the Marina episode I was waiting for. I, I don't want to use the word loved. I wish we got this Marina in every episode. Like I said last time, I care about her story. Her story is interesting. She should be one of the stars of the show, but the fact that I care about Sienna more is a problem, and I, I assumed the whole time it was a writing problem, and this episode really confirmed that. Marina's acting this episode was great, the actress that plays her. The writer, Chris Van Dusen, put her in situations that were reasonable for her character. She faced consequences for her actions, something I personally hate when they don't do in a story. But she stood her ground. She defended herself. She's been saying this whole time she did not have a choice. Whatever. She's been on. I, I want to discuss it again later. But no matter what you think of Marina, whether you agree with her or disagree with her, she stood up for herself in this episode. She worked within her character. She had a big episode. And everything worked really well. And I should have loved everything the whole way. But the writing for Marina this episode was so much better than it normally is. That immediately from second one on the screen, I could tell that this was just going to be a good Marina episode. And I've been dying for a good Marina episode. Because she just feels so out of place. And if you're looking for an example where someone just doesn't quite click right away but kind of works into it, with Marina it's a writing issue. If you want to see it from the acting side, if you are a fan, I, I shout out Outlander a lot because it's a show I've spent a lot of time watching and it's just a really great show. I've read all the books as well and I just know a lot about that particular story. Same with Harry Potter. There are just some stories that I'll shout out a lot just because I'm more familiar with them. If you watch Outlander the show, not the or not read the books, but if you watch the show, the, the actress Sophie Skelton who plays Brianna, um, the writing for Brianna is generally quite good. She just takes time as an actress to really fill out the 
role and find herself. Not that she's awful or terrible or unwatchable or anything. She just feels like Marina, just slightly out of place. And then by the time you, you give her time, you let her settle into that role. After a couple episodes, especially after a couple seasons of her in that role, she really just takes off with it and just needs that time. So I'm glad. I wish Marina was was good the whole time but i am glad that the writing issues for marina at least writing issues that i felt if you haven't felt that way that's totally fine right but the writing issues that i felt marina had have been overcome for this episode and i'm just i'm just overjoyed by that because it's it's so good to get a good marina episode the same way the acting problems i felt sophie skelting was having just trying to make that role hers the way she overcame them after a couple episodes and after she got a better handle on the character um, was really cool to see and when you watch back outlander it's actually cool to see the evolution whereas it was kind of frustrating when you watched it the first time so i'm wondering if i ever return to watch bridgerton like as a binge if i'll notice marina more early and appreciate it more knowing that I, I like where it ends up and we still have big questions maybe they ruin it again in the next episode uh, but I'm happy with Marina this episode and I think if I did go and watch back I'd be a little bit happier with everything that came before it um, just because I know it ends up in a place that I enjoy I'm going to shout out a couple more things really quick before we get to the big one. The coupling montage really worked for me. We had a point in the episode where all these duets were together. We're going to talk about that montage when we get there. Um, but really cool editing, really cool writing, really fun to see everyone in a similar situation, but in different rooms and different buildings w under different circumstances. It's a really cool little trick to, to raise the tension, to make you feel like every character's doing something behind the scenes, to make you feel like you're a spectator to their lives. It's just a really cool little bit of writing and editing and uh, kind of camera trickery and the way the shots were cut together. I really enjoyed that kind of coupling montage. Uh, I think it's around the end of the episode. I thought that was really good. The next thing I really liked was that goddamn party. Can Lady Danbury... So first off, I am convinced I want to be a wife whose husband does not care about her. Not because that's a good situation to be in, but those invites to Lady Danbury's parties. I need one of those in my life right now. Once COVID is done, once COVID is finished, I expect an invitation to a party like that because that was absolutely hilarious. I enjoyed every second of that Lady Danbury party from the concept of it to the drinks to the gambling to the shit talking of all the husbands to just everything about that party was incredible. That was hilarious and amazing, and Lady Danbury's a freaking hero for hosting those parties. I just, that part, everything about that party was amazing. Every single thing. It worked so well. I loved it. The two big things that really worked for me now that we're done talking about how amazing that party was, it, it's, it, it's unimportant in the long run, but like, that's, when you watch Bridgerton, you want to be at that party. There's zero people who watched that episode and thought, nah, I would turn down that invite. Uh, the facial expressions of the Duke and Daphne this episode were really well done. And this is just pure acting. I'm a big fan of show, don't tell, right? The more you show me and the less you tell me, if you can tell me things via actions or facial expressions, those types of things add a lot to a show. And the way you could tell... Daphne and the Duke were struggling with their relationship just by the looks on their faces 
was really, really well done. No matter who was talking when or who was saying what or what the situation was, you could tell the entire motivation, the entire just everything about them from their facial expression, especially with Simon. Um, Simon just had more moments to really show this off, but you can just tell for both of them how much they're struggling with their relationship and how much they don't really believe what they're saying, but they don't know how to move forward and they don't know how to deal with what just happened. And just all that being present through facial expressions is incredible and I really enjoyed it. And then my great is just Daphne this episode. Just saying all the things I've been saying the whole time was awesome. Just going to mom and being like, mom, you didn't tell me anything. I felt a little vindicated, right? I've been saying it every episode and I'm going to say it again this episode, but going and doing that was awesome. When she's talking to Colin and she's like something about it's better you know her secrets before you get married. I was like, ooh, good dig. That's well done, Daphne. The way Daphne was written And again, it's based on how you feel about Daphne, right? I have felt this whole time since episode one or two that she is just not being given information and she's not being set up for success. And the two people I kind of held responsible for that were her mother and the Duke. And in this episode, she has a lot of subtle moments where she is realizing that and calling out those people. And I I just, I want to talk about it more during the episode. It's kind of hard to verbalize right now as a general concept because they all happen in specific kind of subtle moments. But Daphne standing up for herself a little bit and, and just going to mom and going to the Duke and having and having these little conversations with Marina or with Colin where she's taking these little digs. I, I appreciated that. We have to talk about Daphne. There's a It's complicated with Daphne. But I, I did appreciate that she was the avatar for the audience in that way. And specifically, I appreciate it because I agree with what she's saying. If you don't agree what the, she's saying, uh, you're probably just watching this episode hating Daphne. And that's all right. Right then, then it, then it succeeded in that way as well. So no matter how you how you think about Daphne, the writing for her really succeeded. Either in you feeling bad for her, you agreeing with her, you disliking her, you whatever whatever way you feel about Daphne, whatever way you continue to feel about Daphne, the writing kind of allowed you to feel that even more, and that's just exquisite the way it was done. So I, I just really enjoyed the writing for Daphne this episode. All right, what didn't work for me? First off, this first one is absolutely inexcusable. It has no right being in this television show. The flashback. When Eloise is in the carriage and she's trying to figure out who Lady Whistledown is and they've talked this whole episode about how it must be a trade person and she's realizing that it could be uh, the modiste and then there's a flat, like what are, I've watched the show. I've watched it. Trust me. I have paid attention, right? Flashbacks like that really bother me because these things happened this episode. They flash back to a conversation that happened 15 minutes ago. It is wild. Why would you? It really took me out of the episode. It really bothered me. It's so inconsequential. Uh, I didn't knock very much off the score for it. Like, would it be an 8.3 Anyway, probably not. I think 8.2 is... I'm really comfortable with that. But man, that flashback just absolutely wild. They're, like, if you're in season four and you're flashing back to something that happened in season one, 
all the power to you. I'm with you on that. You can't expect everyone to, to dial into every minute of every episode and remember everything that happened over multiple hours of TV. If you're flashing back to things that happened in the same episode, then you haven't done a good enough job telling your story or you don't trust your audience, right? Do not take up time in the episode to make sure that people who aren't watching this episode get caught up. It's it's ridiculous. The whole cycle of how that flashback works, I don't understand why it was there. I don't understand why it stayed there. I don't understand how nobody in post watched this episode and thought, hey, hey, should we flashback to things that happened not 15 minutes ago? The whole thing just, it's not a big deal, but it really took me out of it. What a silly, I just don't understand why it's in there. Eloise and the Queen just didn't work for me. What have we been doing? What are we doing? What was the point? (laughs) Why did we... Is it just to give... So the problem with Eloise is that she's very one note. Up until like two episodes ago, she's just very one note. She doesn't want to be like Daphne. She hates men. Uh, She hates the society. And I agree with her and we all agree with her, but she's very one note. Every time she's on the screen, she's doing something else like that. Either taking a dig at Daphne or saying how she does not want to be in society and men get to do everything and she doesn't, which she is correct about. So they give her like a side project to find Lady Whistledown, but then they put it like, what is this doing? Like, these are two of the most important episodes. We have a lot of emotional, heavy, important things going on. And then you just get these random scenes of Eloise trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is, but it's the queen who's hired her. And the whole time I'm wondering why doesn't the queen just hire more She's the queen of England, just hire more um, qualified people to do it. But then she does hire more qualified people to do it eventually. So I don't understand why we did that. I just don't, it just didn't work for me. The whole concept of it, the way it was executed, the way it felt in this episode, take out this whole Eloise side plot of her trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is and put in like anything else with Daphne and Simon for me. What they're trying to do is on an epi- they want you to they want to remind you that Lady Whistledown is still there because we in our brains we put her on the back burner right when we're dealing with Simon and Daphne especially last episode and all the things that happened there we've got other things to worry about so they're just trying to remind you like hey Whistledown's still there people are still trying to figure out who she is she's still causing a ruckus they're trying to they're trying to keep it in there so you don't forget about it but the way they do it is awful. Like it just, it doesn't take up a lot of time, so I don't mind that much. But ju- I, I'm just out on the Eloise and the Queen plot line. I've been out on it the whole time. I don't really understand it. If you enjoyed it, though, all the power to you, because I just don't. I just didn't. I'm out. I'm out on that plot line. And then the last thing that didn't work for me was the obvious Penelope Whistledown thing. This is episode three out of three in a row, where I'm just like, okay, so Penelope has something to do with this. Just the way, last episode it was really obvious, just the way that Whistledown happens to take out Marina and put her in the spotlight just as she's about to go with Colin. But Penelope doesn't care if she does that, so it would only be a problem if uh, Marina was doing it with Colin. Penelope doesn't mind if she kind of screws over anyone else. So it's just obvious, it's been obvious for a couple episodes that Penelope has something to do with Lady Whistledown, and they just keep putting it on the screen it's like lady whistledown gets mentioned penelope appears and then everything lady whistledown does is something penelope would want lady whistledown to do and then she's having these conversations with eloise and you can just tell that she has something to do with it. i still don't think she is lady whistledown i don't think penelope has the resources 
to be Lady Whistledown. I think she just has the inside scoop about like who to talk to or where to send your manuscript or your intel to Lady Whistledown. But it's just, they're just hitting me in the face. It's, it's the equivalent of hitting me in the face with a frying pan over and over. And like, I get it. I get it. You want me, you want me to, to think Penelope's not Lady Whistledown. I get it. You, like, you don't want me to think that. And then they do this bonkers thing where they try and make you feel like it's the modiste. It's obviously not the modiste. Like, it's, it's just, <laughs> right? And the problem isn't how it's done, because I think it is really well done. My only problem is like now if it is Penelope, I'm a little bit jaded because it was just it it was way too on the nose and too obvious. But then if it's not Penelope, they spent way too much time kind of like giving you the like red herrings are fun and they're fine and they're part of really good television. They're not cool if it's just like over and over and over and over and over again. And so now no matter what happens, if it's either Penelope or Penelope has something to do with it, or it's not Penelope, I'm a little bit jaded at the amount of time they took and how just obviously they're they're hitting me over the head with it. And so it, this worked better than the other two things, but it's just something I'm calling out that I'm just not vibing with completely in this episode. We open this episode with one of the best scenes in Bridgerton so far. It's 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 really well done. You have Daphne who's playing the piano really really loudly and the duke who's shooting uh, pigeons outside and they are trying to annoy each other to the maximum amount. I think I think the duke wins because Daphne doesn't really have many options of where she can play a giant piano whereas the duke can probably shoot any anywhere him and Daphne were having sex last episode. Sans the library is probably somewhere he can shoot pigeons. So he's just doing it right next to Daphne's piano just to be super annoying. And then as he's playing or as she's playing the piano and as he's shooting, there's these really good smash cuts between them. And there's these really good close-up shots of the Duke's face and Daphne's hands. Um, did anyone know that Daphne was this good at the piano? I think I think they didn't do a great job of scaling up Daphne's musical performances. I think they were pretty basic the whole time in the Bridgerton drawing room, and then they just get to full-on amazing in this scene. And so I don't know what's going on there, but Daphne really good at the piano, and I just love this. These are two people... You, you We've all been there. We've all been in that relationship. We've all been in that moment, even if it's the coworker or a friend, where like something is something is like split you two up for some way, and you are just not backing down. You are on your side. The other person's on their side. And before before it gets fixed, you know it's going to get fixed eventually. But before that happens, you are just full on out there to annoy them, to be a pain in their ass. And that's we've all been there. We've all done that. We've all seen that happen. And this was just a very funny, um, creative way of putting that on the screen for us. I also noted during this scene, Rose is there on Daphne's side and the butler or the help for, for Simon is there on his side and their faces, they're looking at each other like, wait a minute, these two are just fucking everywhere on this estate and now they're this, like, they just look so shook about how mad these two are at each other. It must be, it just must be so jarring for them to be, like, last episode we had people following them around like listening at the door as they were doing their thing. And now we all of a sudden get like, they're just so mad at each other and it's so obvious. And the both the help and Rose look a little bit, not concerned, but like, whoa, okay. Is that what we're doing? It's fine. I'm in. You do you. I'm gonna do me. But this was unexpected. They also have a dinner and the dinner's hilarious and they're taking barbs at each other. And the best part about this is that 
they are doing this in front of everyone. Like there is no, they're not pulling back any of the punches, right? The Duke is laying down like, no, you are not leaving to the other room. I will keep track of you, right? Until I know whether or not you are pregnant. And Daphne's like, isn't it customary, Duke, for the um, Duchess to have her own sleeping quarters, especially after the honeymoon's over, which we can both agree is definitely over. Like, it's just, it's perfect. It's, it, they, they're just on their sides. They're not backing down. They both think they're 100% correct. They don't think the other person um, has done anything correctly. It's just, it's so well done. I loved it. And, and then when they get interrupted uh, with the whistle down, do they get whistled down? They live far away. They had to stay at an inn on their ride home. So this is two days of riding away. Who is bringing whistle down out to this estate? Who is doing that? Is the Duke paying for this? Is this an expense? Anyways, they get Lady Whistledown <laughs> and they have to go back because of the whole Colin and Marina thing. And it's just, I love that for them that in the middle of their honeymoon, that regardless of how it's going, they have to go back just because just Colin is messing things up. Just everything about this scene was amazing. I loved it. We have a quick little scene at the Modiste. One of the things I really um, enjoyed about this scene is that Eloise is trying to be creative and use the goings-on to get out of something she doesn't want to do. And again, we've all been there. That's very relatable. Everyone is mad at the Bridgertons. Lady Bridgerton's trying to say hi to people. And they're like, nah, dude, you're tainted as. Colin was about to marry someone who was with child, which I don't understand why they blame Colin. Later in this episode, you can see that people blame the Featheringtons more, which I think makes sense for this situation. I don't know why everyone's like so mad at the Bridgertons about it, but they are. And Eloise is using this to her advantage like, hey, we're tainted. You know what? I'm I'm worthless on the market right now. Can we just delay? And this is happening while she's getting her dress done. I love that for Eloise. It's another creative way for her to have the same opinion she's had every episode, but present it differently in a way that's engaging. And it definitely worked for me. Featherington is also trying, Lady Featherington rather, is also trying in a bit of a cutscene to get Marina a place to stay. I don't know if it's for Marina or her children, but she's going to some kind of orphanage or just, I don't, I don't really know what it is. It feels kind of like an orphanage to me where the kid and the parent both stay and the orphanage is like, hey, can you, we, we might be able to get a room if you make a donation to charity. And then Miss Featherington, says well isn't this a charitable organization and she says yes but even charitable organizations need money and what i loved is that lady featherington decided hey we're going to a place where we're going to ask them for a huge favor and we're going to ask them to do it for free i'm going to wear my most expensive outfit i want them to look at me and know we have so much money even though we don't have any much just a poor outfit choice from lady featherington because the person at the charity just walks away from them in this scene, Lady Featherington trying to be nice, trying to do the right thing. It seems like she's finding a mix between kicking Marina out, which I don't know if it's her decision or if society would just expect that or where the pressure is coming from to do that. But she seems to be trying to do a, a reasonable thing in this scene and her not having any money is becoming a prohibition to a variety of things uh, in this show. The carriage ride for Daphne and the Duke gets entirely skipped over, which is awesome. Uh, we are back at the Bridgerton household with everybody. <laughs> There's a bunch of little subtle moments in this episode with Daphne and the Duke. Again, no words, 
no no nothing you can just tell he's kind of staring at her in the carriage as as she sleeps and you can tell he's struggling with the relationship that he cares but he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't know how to handle it and it you can just tell by the scene they have some kind of I wrote down the actual lines when I thought they were important. They have some kind of spat when she wakes up and they're getting there, but she just turns and slams the or just shuts the carriage door in his face, which is it's so so funny and again really lets you sink into where their relationship's at without using more dialogue. Obviously they are using dialogue. They are ta- talking and yelling at each other and being you know, you know how couples are when they're mad. They're they're being like that verbally, but they're adding these little bits of non-verbal, like door shutting, which is very obvious, but it, it helps you kind of sink into where they're at. In the Bridgerton drawing room, Anthony has decided he just goes up and down on a roller coaster. He's decided he's gonna be good at being Anthony now. He he goes between being absolutely terrible at his job. And being absolutely incredible at it. And it's a little bit jarring. But in this scene, Anthony apparently doing a good job. Seeming like quite the diplomat, which I thought was which I thought was fun. Scolding Colin a little bit. Daphne comes in to fix the situation. Anthony's like, get out of here, Daphne. We don't need you. Like, look, I'm the man of this house. We don't need you. Or we don't need you. Mama Bridgerton's like, shut up, Anthony. Like, of course we need her. She's a duchess, you fool. Like, sit down. She's got this one. <laughs> <laughs> anyone who's gonna dunk on anthony is good do you guys know i found this out recently season two and book two are about anthony just end me i have to do a whole podcast about a show about anthony next season i am going to die oh boy it's just anyways we're back in the drawing like oh we're back in the drawing room and daphne is trying to figure out the situation she has a really good quote um, once Mama Bridgerton suggests that they pretend like nothing happened, Daphne has a quote that says, yes, um, pretend like nothing's amiss, something about luring the ignorance into submission. It really throws Mama Bridgerton off that Daphne's speaking like this, but Daphne's clearly referencing the lack of information she received. She's clearly taking a jab. Uh, it, it's not really clear that's directly at her mother in this case. It becomes more clear later. But Daphne already standing her ground and like, hey, this is not what we're doing. This is what happened to me, and I am not doing this again. And I just, it's not a directly comparable situation, but this is the type of thing where Daphne's speaking to me a little bit, and I'm happy she's standing up for herself in this way. Colin says that he's in love, and it's just, uh, <laughs> like, cool, Colin, yep, you're definitely in love. Well done. I suppose in in the in those times, the pool of people you can actually meet is pretty low. The pool of people your age that are single and available and also suitable is a pretty low pool of people. So just so finding someone like Marina would like maybe instantly being in love is a is a thing uh, for Colin, and I love that for he's just young and in love. Colin is my favorite character, man. He's awesome. Daphne is talking about how how much stuff she knows, and I wrote in my notes, oh, Daphne, 10 days ago, you knew nothing about anything, and she has this, she has this, um, she has this conversation with Colin, and they talk about at least he found out her secrets before he got married to her, and Colin immediately catches on. Again, this is Daphne projecting what happened to her, and I'm just, every time it happens, I'm going to mention it, I just really like that Daphne's doing that and she's immediately at least trying to take what's happened to her 
and do something with that information, whether you agree with her or not, or think what she's doing with Colin here is correct or not. I'm happy that she's doing something about it, which is about about what I I would hope Daphne would do and about what makes sense for the character. Colin is clearly onto their stuff and asks if anything happened. And I like that for Daphne too, that she's not really good at it. Because of course she isn't. She hasn't done this before. And so the fact that Colin catches on is actually really endearing because Daphne is trying to be subtle and trying to give Colin good advice, but also is, is not really good at it. This isn't normally her role. This isn't normally her comfort zone. So Colin catching on that there's something wrong and Anthony later catching on that there's something wrong makes a lot of sense because of course... Daphne wouldn't do a good job of hiding it. Because why would she? We wouldn't expect her to as a character. The Duke decides the best way to spend his free time is getting his head caved in by his friend Will. Which I just... The whole thing... So These people should be dead. Or concussed. Or in the... Like, this is not an activity where they can look as good as they do while doing it, where they can look as good as they do after being just absolutely beaten up by each other and still be conscious. This is not a good representation of, like, this much boxing and getting punched in the face. But there's a little bit of fun conversation here. The Duke is clearly doing this. He's got a lot on his mind. He's had a lot happen to him. He's trying to decompress. He's trying to just let it all out. And doing that through boxing is probably a good choice. And (laughs) the whole time, Will's taunting him a little bit and saying all these quippy remarks about marriage that you'll never understand it. Or something like that. And I, I enjoyed this scene a lot for Will just saying funny things about marriage and how the Duke's going to kind of settle into it and has a lot to learn. And the Duke just trying his best to punch Will in the face and, and never really doing a good job. I thought it made a lot of sense to just add this little fun moment in the show, even though I don't really agree with Bach's position as a concept. Next up, we have one of many awkward scenes between the Duke and Daphne. In this episode, Daphne gets one of those smooth smooth move X-lax uh, points it, at the beginning of this scene because she creaks open a door to watch the Duke come up the stairs. And then as soon as he notices her, she shuts the door. And I wrote it like, don't, don't open the door if you don't want to be seen. Who's it going to be? Who else is walking up those stairs? Like, just go to bed. If you don't want to talk to the Duke right now, who else... I don't know what she's doing. So maybe she wants to be seen, in which case be a little more confident. You're a confident person, right? You believe you've been wronged. Like, go out. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what Daphne's doing with this whole creak the door open, look, close the door. It's very loud. It's very obvious. The Duke even says that. Like, I heard you, Daphne. I heard you make noise. You can't just make that much noise and not come outside and pretend to be. <laughs> it, it's It's all a little awkward. Now, this scene, there's a lot going on because... Daphne and the Duke clearly both want to make their relationship work. Clearly both don't know how to handle what has happened. And how you view all of the scenes in this episode is dependent on how you view the events of what happened in the last six, specifically the events of last episode. Daphne starts this conversation by asking where Simon has been all night. Simon says, I did not think you concerned about my whereabouts, which he obviously doesn't believe. She's obviously, she obviously still cares for him and is concerned about him. What makes this episode work is you can tell that they both still really care and both still want to make it work and just don't know how and don't want to forgive each other. And it, it's very complicated 
And a show like Bridgerton is not going to give the kind of time and space we need to fully flesh it out like it would need to be fleshed out in real life. So I think they did a decent enough job this episode giving us at least enough time in showtime to make this work. They decide the first thing they got to do to figure this out is to... They just start making out and then they go on the stairs and then there's stuff happening on the stairs. And Simon... Simon's a generous lover. You got to give him credit. Simon doing his duty. He's doing well. All right. And then Daphne's like, why don't we go to bed and finish what we started? And then Simon, this is where Simon shines. He stands his ground. It's what I liked with Daphne. It's what I liked with Marina. He's like, no, this cannot happen. And Simon was, in my opinion, and in most people's opinion, I think, assaulted last episode. I think we, most of us can agree on that. Even though the characters don't think about it that way. And that's important too. We have to remember what we think about the situation in 2021. is not how the characters in Regency era time would think about the situation. I think it's reasonable in, the, in this context though for Simon to be this mad and to be this angry and to stand his ground. No, this cannot happen. We will be living entirely separate. And while the, the little sexual encounter on the stairs feels out of place considering how the scene ends... That's, I think, how some couples are. I think a lot of couples are like that, where they're mad, they're mad, they're mad, and they just have sex, and that's how they make up with each other. Like, that is that is what brings them together. That is the thing that kind of can... Not all couples are like that. I, I don't think most are. <laughs> but some are like that, and they are definitely one of those couples you can just tell that the show is is trying to, to point you in that direction. Like, this is the kind of couple. If anyone is going to, like, have makeup sex, it'll be these two. And Simon decides to stand his ground. No, this cannot happen. No, you have co- like it's you have consequences for your action. What you did is unacceptable. I will not stand for it. And I will do my duty. I will provide for the kid. If you're pregnant, um, you will be giving whatever befitting a duchess. But I am. We are living separately. And Daphne gets seems a little bit mad. And sticking with the theme, neither of them meet in the middle. Simon is is very much responsible for setting up Daphne to fail. Daphne, like we talked about last episode, needs to be accountable for her choices. Just because she was set up to make a terrible choice doesn't mean we can fully forgive her for doing that. So I, I love that Simon was taking her to task. No, what you did was wrong. I am not standing for it. I don't think he used those words, but he's not giving in. Right. Once this starts happening, he's like, whoa, wait a sec. Never mind. Never mind. I do not forgive you for what you did. And I, I, I enjoy that Daphne's being held accountable by somebody for her actions, specifically by Simon, the person who she assaulted. Is It's important that this happens. And I, I don't think this is going to happen enough. I don't think we have enough time in showtime. I don't think the characters take this as seriously in the show as we would in 2021. And so I think this is probably what we're going to get is this episode. But in terms of what we got, it's important. It's important for Simon to at least have a moment where Daphne is trying to just pretend like everything's okay and then nothing's wrong. And Simon says, no, what you did was not okay. What you did was wrong. And this is that scene. And I put in my notes, Daphne, you're at least a little bit responsible for this whole mess. You are zero responsible. Everything up until the end of last episode, no one helped you out. You were not given enough information. I've talked. I've litigated this a whole bunch. She was not set up for success. She was set up for failure. So we shouldn't be upset when she fails. When people are set up for failure and then they fail, that is just the outcome that I would expect for them. 
But once you fail, you've got to be held accountable for your actions. And Simon, it's important that it's Simon. It's important that he does it. And while it's not enough, and I don't think we're getting enough in this show, I, I'm i willing to forgive the show. I wish they had a couple more episodes. I'm willing to be like, hey, at least they're sending that message a couple times this episode that Simon is is at least right now in this scene saying, no, we are not doing this. You are being held accountable for your actions. They were unacceptable. Daphne, against all odds, is deciding she's going to help Marina out, which is awesome. So she starts the Marina help. I guess at this point, she's not trying to help Marina out. She's just trying to take a different approach and give Colin and, and Marina the chance to speak with each other. And no one else in the family thinks that's a good idea. But Daphne's taking control. This might have been one of the best scenes in the episode. I think this might... If, if, if the Danbury party wasn't so good... I think this might be my favorite scene this episode. Marina enters the room to speak to Colin wearing a full kind of cloak. And I found that really symbolic. She's sheltering herself. She's sheltering herself. She is not opening up. She's not happy. She's not expressive. And I liked the choice of costume here because it gave you a sense of where Marina's at mentally. Another show don't tell moment. You don't need to know what Marina's thinking about because you can just tell by her outfit how she feels, how she would have felt getting dressed for this occasion. Colin and Marina spend a little bit of time litigating the situation and talking about it and talking it through. Colin making a lot of good points. Marina making a lot of good points. Colin's position is, hey, what are you doing? I loved you. I thought you I thought you loved me. Why would you trap me like this? This wasn't fair. Uh, all of the 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 expected Colin position. When you've fallen for a honeypot, when you have fallen for a honeypot, this is the reaction of somebody who's fallen for a honeypot. Marina, very well written and acted this episode, standing her ground. You are a good kind man. Is something along I, I don't have the exact quotes here. She she says all of these things. You are a good man. You were my best option. It was not a good choice, right? I needed to do what I thought was best for my incoming child. And you were the only person that offered me a glimpse of happiness. So I'm sorry for this trap, but it is what I thought I needed to do. And I love these scenes where both people, they're making good points. You can side with both of them. You can understand at the very least where both of them are coming from. I think in this situation, we all, we're all we all meant to agree with Colin and not with Marina, but having a little empathy, you can really relate to where... When Marina's options was that other guy who was looking at her teeth or tricking Colin, would... Okay, here's a better way to put it. Would you have done what Marina did? You have to trap somebody. There is no way of getting out of not trapping... and You have to try and trap somebody into this. So you can pick the guy who's looking at her teeth, who's old, who whatever. That, that I don't want to. I don't want to. Those other guys. Or you can try and do it with Colin, right? Everyone likes to be the hero of their own story. Everyone likes to think if they were in that situation, they would have done the right. Would you think about Marina's situation and think about how nice and kind Colin is, and think about the opportunity that presented? I don't know. I think. I think she's do. I think she honestly made the best choice for her that she could make, even if it's still um, conniving and still a trap and still a bit of a honeypot. I think for her, she's doing the right thing here. And I love that scene where you can vibe with what both people are feeling, what they're both saying, and you don't really need to pick a side. You can just let them argue. And I, I really love, I love that about this scene. 
Daphne looks a little bit uncomfortable because in this scene, Daphne also, I did, and Daphne relates to Marina a little bit. I didn't relate to Marina, obviously, never been in that situation, but I empathize with Marina. Daphne, when Marina is saying, I didn't get guidance, I didn't get help, I did not know better, that is what I've been saying about Daphne the whole time and what Daphne is finally saying in this episode. No one helped Daphne. No one guided Daphne. She did not know better. Those are all true things. And we still hold her accountable for her actions, but you are doing a disservice to forget how we got there. You are doing... It's a, it's a little bit of a disservice if you just dump on Daphne for making bad choices and not remember that she was set up to do that. Same with Marina. Marina, what Marina's doing is not correct. It is not a nice thing to do to somebody. But much like Daphne, she had no help. She had no guidance. Her only family that could even help her right now is Lady Featherington, who is like kind of trying, but also just has a bunch of bad ideas. And she is doing what she thinks is right. And I love this scene for Marina and Colin and what they have going on. I love it too for how Daphne reacts to it. Because this is just the exact same type of situation Daphne feels like she's in and she takes this conversation and decides she's going to help Marina later in the I, everything about this scene is just very very well done it's evocative it's engaging you can really think about it and just you don't know where you don't where are you being pulled are you pulling to be being pulled towards Colin towards Marina towards Daphne I'm with all three you can understand where they're all coming from absolutely spectacular two minutes of television this scene we now move on to a lunch with the Queen. Not a lot of important things happen in this scene, but a lot of things do happen, so I'll kind of rattle them off so this podcast isn't three hours long. First thing I noted, not a ball, not a promenade, not a party, but a lunch. It, it's fun how the show has to keep trying to have new fun ways <laughs> to get everyone together so we don't get bored. I enjoyed that this time it was a lunch. Next time it might be another promenade. Maybe we're going to another ball. Later in this episode, we go to a party. There's just so many fun options for all of these people to meet up at. The Queen Straight rolls up to Simon and Daphne and is the 15th person in this show to just immediately mention children. I have a hundred whatever the currency is. I have a hundred whatever on the fact that there'll be an heir or a, a child in the next year. And it's like, <laughs> what a way to open a conversation. Uh, Queen Charlotte, you're you're doing great. What did he, what was what was she called? Lottie. I really like that nickname, Lottie. Man, that's such a cool name. Anyways, the Queen just no fuss, no muss. Obviously, she doesn't know better. Really awkward conversation. The Duke is very sarcastic in this scene, and I love it. He's like, "Oh, the Queen, Queen, Queen Charlotte. We are we are devoting our entire life to this endeavor of having children." It's just a very snide remark at Daphne and I. I love that. Daphne talks a little bit about duplicity. They're mostly just t digging at each other. They're still at the digging at each other phase, and we have all been there, and I I love that they commit to it for so many scenes in a row. They're not moving. They're not budging. They're digging at each other. The queen's not helping, and it's amazing. Mama B noted, knows something's up, though. Mama B in this situation, she knows what's up. She's She's been around. She can see when something's not going well. Mr. Granville comes to talk to Benedict. Benedict, for whatever reason, just kind of leaves the conversation. All I could make of that was Benedict trying not to get involved in a scandal, question mark, question mark. Felt really out of character for Benedict. Kind of gets uh, fixed later in this episode, but just a really weird moment. Benedict's like, yeah, I gotta go. Okay. Okay, Benedict, cool. Thanks for being in this scene. I'm not sure why we needed that, but all right. 
We get more of the Queen and Eloise. I hate this plot line. It makes no sense to me. I don't really understand why it's in the show other than to keep Lady Whistledown front of mind. So we're still like, ooh, that's still a mystery. We still need to figure that out. And so Eloise and the Queen are talking about who I... I can't even remember. To be honest, I can't even remember what happens in this scene. I know what happens like in the next scene where the Queen tells Eloise to screw off because she hired actual qualified people, which she should have just done the whole time. But in this scene, they're chatting about it. Cool. It happens. It's fine. I don't really like this plotline. But if you like this plotline, you probably liked this scene a lot. This is where Lady Danbury comes in hot with the slumber party invite. And she has that vibe about her as she invites. Like, yeah, I know marriage sucks. I know where you want to be. You want to be at a party. You know who you want to be at a party with? You want to be at a party with all the other wives who are having shitty marriages. Like, she just gets it. She knows. She just knows. The Lady Danbury just knows. She's one of those people that can just... She just knows that this is what Daphne needs right now, and she's getting invited to that party. Lady Danbury is just awesome. The Featheringtons arrive. They they very quickly get sent away because their invitations have been revoked. Everybody is, everybody's mad at the Featheringtons for this deception with Marina. Penelope makes a strange comment to Eloise, like, we haven't got any callers in three days. And then I wrote down, but your only caller this whole whole show has been Cheese and Sneeze. That's the only guy, like, you weren't, were you getting callers every three days? I wasn't aware that they were getting any callers, which isn't fair. They're lovely ladies. They should be getting more callers. I just wasn't aware that they were getting any. So her saying, we haven't got callers in three days, I was like, yeah. You haven't got callers the last three days, or the three days before that, or the three days before that. In my notes here, I have Lady Whistledown is defo Penelope fuck off in all capital letters. So she says something here that makes it really obvious that it's Lady Whistledown, or she's involved, or whatever, because her and Eloise are talking about it. I can't remember the exact line, but I wrote that in my notes. So they do something um, that's the first frying pan to the face this episode that Penelope at least knows something that, that Eloise doesn't. Miss Featherington. I was in on Miss Featherington. Complicated character, doing things I don't necessarily agree with, but seemingly doing her best and at least doing things that are... I don't know how to explain it. I was in on Miss Featherington. I think I was in on Miss Featherington because the writing for Marina was a bit off and we were supposed to agree with Marina, but I just wasn't. So by proxy, I was agreeing with Miss Featherington. But the fact that she cut the balls, the absolute stones on Lady Featherington to walk up to Miss Bridgerton and pretend like you didn't know about Marina's condition, fuck off. Get out, get out of this party. That's a bit... I'm, that's a big no-no. If I had a, if I had a, if I had my soundboard hooked up to this podcast, I would play like the womp 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 sound or the shame bell from Game of Thrones. Like shame, we need that shame bell behind Lady Featherington. How dare you? How dare you go up to Mama Bridgerton and pretend you don't know about Marina's condition? Absolutely unex. Uh, she deserved to be kicked out of this party. I'm glad she was kicked out of this party. I'm glad Mama Bridger- Br- Bridgerton. Wasn't putting up with her shit. Get out of here, Lady Featheringtons. Just no. Just no. As Penelope leaves with the Featheringtons, Eloise starts crying, which... Just what? Eloise is this sad about it? Okay, okay. It's fine. It's all fine. I just... Everyone loves Eloise, and I I like Eloise as a character. I'm just not vibing with... Like, now she's just crying? Okay, I, I just... I don't know. I, would she cry here? 
being upset that your friend is is, is embroiled in a scandal is one thing, but crying because they got kicked out of a party is another. Maybe I maybe I'm just not in the right mindset for Eloise. Maybe that does make sense. I just put Eloise's crying raffle in my notes, so it's not a big deal. I just thought that was a bit of an overreaction from Eloise to what was what was happening. But I do understand why she feels bad for Penelope, because Penelope had nothing to do with the Marina Collin thing. And actually, I don't know if Eloise knows this. Penelope actively tried to stop it this whole time. So I guess I guess I understand why Penelope or Eloise is upset that Penelope's getting kicked out of the party. Daphne decides to go into the garden, and at which point I wrote in my notes, fuck, not another garden. Jesus, Daphne, nothing goes well in the gardens. Why are you going back into another garden? So that's where my thoughts on the garden situation in Bridgerton is. Mama Bear always knows what's up. She doesn't know she's about to be torn apart by Daphne here, but she knows what's up. She follows her into the garden, and she finds Daphne, like, crying just in the middle of this maze garden somewhere. Daphne immediately just kind of starts going in on her mom, saying she left her no better than a fool. She didn't tell her about marital relations. She didn't send her out into the world with the information she needed. All things I've been saying this whole time, so I loved this scene. I wrote, yes, go get her, Daphne. She deserves this. She just needs to know. And why this is important, it's important for Daphne to reckon with the fact that she didn't get that information. It is important for her to go through whatever process she needs to go through to accept that, but it's important for her to do this, not for herself, but for her sisters. I think after this after this verbal beatdown, I think Lady Bridgerton's going with a fresh mindset into Eloise and into Hyacinth and into the other sister we haven't met yet. Right? There's another Bridgerton. I do not know her name. There are four girls and four boys. We have not met the other girl. I do not know who she is, but they she's out there somewhere in the world. I think she's going in to the marital relations talk a little earlier and a little more informative the next time, which I think if this verbal uh, schlacking by Daphne does anything, if it gives Eloise the information, to be honest, I think Daphne would just do it. I think Daphne would just go to Eloise and be like, this is what sex is. This is how marital relations work. This is what you need to know. These are my... I think Daphne would just do it. So I think I think, I think think she puts Mama Bridgerton on blast. I think Mama Bridgerton deserves it. Even though she was acting within the realm of society. You, again, you need to be held responsible for your actions. She did not give Daphne the info that she needed. And so she is being held responsible by Daphne for that. And I, I really enjoy that in this episode. Lady Danbury is also just lurking around the corner for this one. <laughs> Lady Danbury just knows. Lady Danbury knows everything. Normally when characters just appear like this, I get really mad. Like, okay, why is Lady Danbury in this garden? But because it's Lady frickin' Danbury, it's just, of course she's there. Of course she knows that something's wrong. Of course she she needs to know this. I When I saw this, you know, I immediately like, oh, she's going to go give the Duke a talking to. She's going to go talk to the Duke and get him to fix this because, like, she's just here. She just knows. And I, I like that for Lady Danbury. At the Featherington house, we get we get the post-party breakdown where Miss Featherington is kind of is kind of taking it to her husband a little bit, saying they were embarrassed. And the husband, who is whose gambling is the or is the is the the consequential act that is creating all these problems. It's like, yo, what did I do? He's the best. I love these, like, he's reading a newspaper or he's writing, because he's just like, I wasn't, how could I be at fault for what happened at the party? I was not even there. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure, that's how responsibility, it's, it, it fits his character really well. I really got a good kick out of that. I love his, I was like, hey, 
I wasn't there. I didn't do this. Even though he's definitely mostly responsible for it, he did. He he technically was not at the party and technically did not have anything to do with this Marina Collin thing. So he's technically correct, and I love that interaction. Daphne shows up at the Featherington house to help out Marina. Marina and Daph have a lovely conversation. I put in my notes, Marina is so good this episode. Why wasn't she this good before? She gives a little backstory about to who did father the baby. His name is George. He's in the army. I like I like Marina after the last scene of being really cloaked up, being really reserved, um, trying not to cry. She's a little more open this time. She at least seems to trust Daphne, to, to seem to think that Daphne truly is trying to do a, a nice thing here and to actually help her. And they have a really good conversation about it. And I, I did like the, the backstory being given to Daphne about who did father the child that marina is going to have daphne has a cool line at the end about why why should she be left alone as punishment for his crime which is a good sentiment a little on the nose daphne's still stuck on her side not taking any responsibility for what she's done the duke also not taking any responsibility for what he's done but the duke's not in the scene daphne's here and daphne's like okay i was just like okay daphne look look he the duke as long as we're calling everything a crime, the Duke did some crimes. You also did some crimes. It, it, it seems like you're just blaming the Duke for everything, which makes sense for her character. I just thought it was a little on the nose for this conversation with Marina. Like, yes, show. Yes, writer's room. We get it. We get it by this point. Daphne's not budging. I thought the line was a little bit weird, but I liked the sentiment. I liked that she was telling Marina, look, why should you be punished? He doesn't care about the outcome. He doesn't give a shit. He's in the army somewhere. Why Why should you be made to suffer when he doesn't get made to suffer at all? And I liked that sentiment from Daphne. We get a quick cut scene where Mr. Featherington is at Will's house and he is trying to make a deal with Will. He is throwing his honor out the window. He is trying to get Will to throw his honor out the window. He comes up and he's like, hey, I need a deal. You need a deal. I need to make a load of money. You need to make a load of money. Why don't we fix the next boxing match? Everyone's going to favor you to win. I'm going to bet on you to lose. You're going to purposely lose. We're going to be rich as hell. And that's the deal. The way he goes about this is really cool. He brings up... He makes the mistake of bringing up Will's family. Like, wouldn't your family need the money shouldn't you do what's best for your family he brings up will's dad which we didn't know anything about and how he was a soldier and he's really trying to guilt will into this like hey would your dad be proud of you if you're boxing for money still at this point in your life and so will pins him up against the wall and then he's like hey i apologize i'm doing this for my family too and it's another scene where you don't really like what he's doing but you see why he's doing it he has ruined everything now part of this is definitely he just likes gambling and would love to actually win instead of being bad and losing but part of it is that he has messed this up for his family and when he says that it's like oh i love these scenes i'm just sitting in you're sitting in the gray you're just sitting in the gray he's kind of right but kind of wrong will you know will should not sell his honor here but it's a good financial choice would you do it this is another situation you Everyone, me included, likes to sit at home in my chair talking into a microphone and going, yo, if that was me, if I was the boxer and Mr. Richie Rich dipshit came along and told me, hey, hey, sell your honor, I'll give you buckets of money. I'll give you buckets of money. I'd be like, no, my honor is not for sale. But like, it is. 
It is for one throw one boxing match and have enough fa- enough money to set my family up for life. If those are my options, I throw that match so quickly. Like I will throw this match. I know we're like again. I'm not pretending to be the hero of my own story. It's easy to sit in your chair and say that you wouldn't do it, but most of us totally would. So I understand where Will is going to have this dilemma. Colin actually has a similar situation earlier in this episode, where at the end of the whole Marina conversation, he says, if you had just told me, if you had just told me the truth, I would have married you without a second thought, which it's another thing that's easy to say once it's off the table. It's easy to do that. Once everything's gone wrong, it's easy to say, oh, if you had done this, I would have done that. But that's not how life works. If Marina had come up straight up and said, hey, I'm pregnant, would Colin have done that without a second thought? Without a second thought, would he really? So Colin even has a moment in this episode where he is the hero of his own story. He's trying to be, hey, if you had done this, I would have been the hero. I would have been the upstanding gentleman. I would have married you without a second thought. No, you wouldn't have, Colin. Or you might have done it. Colin's a kind guy. He's a good guy. I don't doubt his honor, right? Colin might have. It's well within Colin's character to do that. But to do it without a second thought, to just be immediately on, like, shut up, Colin. You would not just do that. You would not leave that conversation going, yeah, we're totally getting married, right? Like, that's not, that's not how life works. That's not how emotions work. That's not how, like, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that Colin would have done it. He just would definitely would not have done it without a second thought. And so I like the complexity we're getting from our characters in this episode. In my notes, the next scene is titled, Yo, This Party is Lit. I want to point out that I don't use the word lit a lot. I I don't even know if that's something the kids still say, but I'm using it for this uh, scene title in my notes because this party is absolutely incredible. This scene is really well done. You have the Danbury party of wives who just are dunking on their husbands who are in unhappy marriages or happy marriages. Some of the wives explain, hey, it's the best deal ever. I get all the clout and all the perks and all the benefits of being married to a super rich guy and I don't have to sleep with him. I don't have to be near him. These guys don't talk to me. And I I really enjoyed that that's the whole premise to that party. It's just a bunch of like wives that hate their husbands (laughs) but are making the most of it. And it's so funny. And it's intercut really well with the gentleman's club, right? So normally I'd be cool with just that cut, right? You have on one hand the wives club and on one hand the gentleman's club. And the gentleman club, the gentleman's club isn't all the husbands. It's not a direct opposite. It's just like where where the duke is hanging out, where where Anthony's hanging out, right? But what makes it great is the change in atmosphere. The party that the ladies are at is just it's euphoric. Everyone's happy, everyone's gambling, everyone's drinking, everyone's just shitting on their husbands, everyone's loving it, they're all having a good time, it's like a super secret wives society, it's awesome. And then you you cut to where Anthony and the Duke are in the Gentleman's Club and it's like boring and dreary and nothing interesting's happening and the conversations are in like low kind of mumbled tones in a way and it's a completely different vibe and I loved the hard cut between the two. I'm going to break these down separately, though, so they don't get too confusing instead of cutting back and forth like the show did. At the daft party, at the girls' party, the wives' party, where all of the wives are at, there's a lot of gambling, there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of just general happiness. The main thing that we see in that scene for Daphne is Daphne's there to help 
Marina. So she is trying to find the general's wife so she can find out where to mail the or where to send a letter to the general to see if Daphne can find this person, this George guy, who um, is the father of Marina's kid. So that's kind of going on. And that's that is objectively the primary plot of this party. What? What this party did for me, and it, it made me kind of proud of Daphne's emotional development, or maybe it was always there, or maybe it wasn't, but this is where Daphne becomes a little bit unstuck. So far, she's been stuck, right? She's taking no responsibility, and I don't think after this scene she takes any responsibility, but she's like, I'm stuck here, I'm mad at the Duke. But the fact that she goes to this party, where all of these wives, it's everyone but her, all of these wives are in unhappy relationships or just a non-existent relationship. Like, it's just marriage in name only. And the and the fact that she leaves that party where everyone is happy with that, all of those wives say, it's the best thing ever. You should be excited for this. The fact that she leaves and goes, no, that's not what I want. Despite that everyone else in this room is happy with that, I am not happy with that. And I think that shows a lot of emotional growth from Daphne for her to go into this party to be the newcomer but to take all that peer pressure, it's not even really peer pressure, but to take to take all of that advice and all of that experience from all the other wives in the room and to leave that going, no, I'm going to come to the wives party and I'm going to have a happy marriage. And that's what I want. She still needs to do all the work to fix it and to make it better. But the emotional development of Daphne here to, to leave going, I need to fix this. Something is wrong. This is not what I want. It is really cool for me to see. And again, this all depends on how you feel about Daphne or how you feel about the Duke. And if we feel differently, this scene will have played differently to you. But for me, I loved this from Daphne. I liked the awkwardness from Daphne as well. She's kind of trying to blend in. She's the newbie there. Everyone else is well experienced at these parties, which is great that Lady Danbury is hosting so many. And what's even funnier is that they they all let Daphne win the money. Daphne's like, oh my god, I win again. I'm taking all this money. And Lady Danbury's like, whoa, the newbie has won again. It's like, they're just, it's like playing with your little brother. It's like, you just gotta, you gotta let him win. The first time you gotta let him win, you gotta take the money. Also, why are they gambling? They're all super rich. Do they not see what happened when the Featheringtons lost all their money? Right? Why do they need to gamble? Like, what? I just don't understand why they're gambling. They're all already super rich. It's just maybe when it's again one of those things where I go like, if I won the lottery, I wouldn't waste any money. Like, yeah, you will. You'll waste some of it, definitely. If I was super rich, maybe I'd gamble. I have no idea. It's just I can't relate to having that much money, so I don't know if I would like go to parties and gamble it with other rich people who don't need it. Whatever. Over on the gentleman side, you are focused on Anthony and the Duke. The Duke is already there having a whiskey, which I approve of. Good choice. Anthony is there. <laughs> Anthony shows up and says, hey, hey, funny I find you here. And they start talking, and Anthony's trying to break the ice. You can tell that he wants to kind of lambast him for ruining the relationship with his sister, at least wants to find out what's happening. And he says, so <laughs> he's trying so hard to break the ice. And he says, like, sometimes it's a whiskey day. Sometimes it's a brandy day, but today I'm here for a good old-fashioned beer. And he says he needs a large glass, and they pour him maybe eight ounces of beer. Maybe six in like a really weird... I don't even know what kind of glass it is. It's not a large glass of beer. It's very strange. The Duke realizes what's happening with Anthony. He's like, dude, cut to the chase. Like, I'm here, you're here, I don't want to deal with this, but if you're gonna hear, if you're gonna be here, and you're just gonna insist, like, just tell me what you want so we can figure this out. That's kind of the attitude the Duke has. Anthony says, and I quote, I know my sister well. 
To which I wrote immediately in my notes, you do not know her well, you fuck. In capital letters. Anthony, you, are you forgetting episodes one and two? And three, four, five, you do not know her well. You do not know what you're doing. Just, ugh. It's not, I like it because it's in character for Anthony, but Anthony just, he just bugs me. He has a really funny line though, and this is where, this is where I'm with Anthony. He ends up saying something like, <laughs> he ends up saying something like, I know she didn't, I know her well enough to know she didn't fuck up this badly. And it's so funny. It's so well delivered. It's so well timed. It's so well written. And I like that from Anthony. Just a little bit. I think they need to cut the first line and just keep that part. But a little bit of self-awareness. Like, yeah, maybe I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's going on between you. Right? I have no idea what's happening, but I do know that Daphne could not have possibly fucked this up this badly on her own, so you have some explaining to do, and it's, it's a genuinely funny way to get into this conversation. The Duke and Anthony decide things need to get super personal, and uh, Anthony, or the Duke is trying to say, something, again, these aren't direct quotes, so I'm trying to get the vibe of the scene, not the correct words, because if I just wrote down the whole script of the episode, my notes would be 100 pages long. But the Duke is trying to say something like, what would you know of marriage? What do you know? Right? What is it you you don't know anything? You have siblings. You have a family. You're the head of your house. You pro-. Then they start talking about their dads. And this is where things get fucked up. In like a good way where they're just like, there's no, there's no holds barred now. There's no, we're just going in. It was kind of like Ron mentioning to Harry in book seven of Harry Potter. Like, hey, you don't even have a family to worry about. And Harry's like, yeah, they're dead. They are dead. Is that what you want? And that's the same kind of situation here where the Duke is like, did you, did you promise your father you would do a good job? Did you, did you promise your father that when he died, things would be taken care of? Cause you're making it look really difficult. And then Anthony's saying like, well, what would you know of running a household? And then there's just, they're just going back and forth. And then the dad comments come in and you know, it's not going to go well. And I put my notes. Oh no. They mentioned the dad. They mentioned the dad. They mentioned the dad. And then the Duke is actually quite composed while this is happening. And he's saying something along the lines of like, yeah, at least I didn't promise to do a good job. Like, am I doing a great job? Maybe not. But I also told my dad that I didn't want to do the job at all and that I wasn't going to do it. So I like how he's he's self-aware in that sense as well to just say, hey, I didn't promise anyone I'd do a good job. In fact, I told my dad that I wouldn't do the most important parts of the job that he cared about the most. And I, I liked that from the Duke. And then they start to fight and they smash through a table and they're fighting each other. And while the fight, the fight needs to happen. And I hate it in shows where they don't earn the fight, where two characters just start fighting. It's like, okay. There's, there's a bunch of steps before we get to fisticuffs and smashing through tables, right? That There's a lot of steps that go in between the start of an argument and, and going through a glass table, and but they hit all those notes. This scene really earned the fight at the end. It's a quick little fight, good choreography. The frame rate speeds up a little bit. The camera's moving a little faster. It, it stands out. It, it's well done. I don't have much to say about the fight other than it was earned, and it's a good way for them to decompress. I think that's the only way... There's only so far into a conversation you can go where you've wounded each other enough that this kind of fight is the only way to let it out. I'm surprised the Duke doesn't just kick the shit out of Anthony considering he spends all his time just getting his face caved in by Will. But hey, whatever. the box position is weird, but I really, I really thought this scene deserved that fight at the end. I actually just re-watched this next scene because I want to make sure 
I get the tone of the scene, the mood of the scene, and, and just everything about this, because this is spectacular. This is just TV at its... This is incredible. Daphne comes home from the party, and Simon comes home from his beatdown with Anthony, and Daphne is somehow sober. She... Dr- there's no way you come from that Lady Danbury party sober. As the newbie, surely there's some kind of like hazing thing that happens where you just get wasted out of your mind. Anyways, she comes home. She's definitely sober, which is a strange a strange uh, bit of continuation there, but that's fine. And uh, or the Duke is all cut up from this fight through the glass table. So Daff, Daff doing all of the tricks in the book here. Like, hey, let me dab your wounds, husband. Like, trying to trying to find a way into the conversation. And what I like is she's not good at this. She's not good at this. So it, it backfires on her. And I like that because, of course, she isn't good at this. The music here is really ratcheting up the tension. Very well done with the soundtrack to really make you feel like this scene is is more tense. And then... She goes and she says, let me dab your wounds, yada, yada, yada. They start, they start, she's sitting on his lap. They're starting to be more involved. I, I put in my notes, no, no more kissing, no more sex, no more anything. Just talk. Both of you need to talk right now and figure this out. That's what I wrote in my notes. Daphne then, she again, trying to find a way in and just isn't good at it. So of course she doesn't say anything smart. She says she says a child would be a blessing, which is the wrong thing to say. Now we have a lot of breaking down to do. We have to break down so much to do with the Duke here. So he obviously does not react well to this child is a blessing comment. It is at this point, it is at this point in this television show where the Duke is explaining to Daphne the actual problem. The Duke has decided that only right now is a this is the time where he needs to explain himself. This is an appalling choice. This is not that hard to explain. This is not that hard to clarify. I felt this way the whole time. I'm just bringing it up here. The fact that I would almost have been better if he didn't clarify it at all. Like, he's already made such a terrible choice and not clarifying what he meant earlier. But the fact that this is the first time he's explaining to Daphne the whole issue about him making a vow on the deathbed, and that's why he can't have kids and all of that situation, is wild. This is an awful... It's good that he's doing it. It is good that he's eventually doing it. But this is not... Imagine... I guess what I'm trying to say is just imagine what would have happened if he had just had this conversation earlier. If he had just, how much of this would have been avoided if he had just had this conversation earlier? The way this scene is written, Daphne gets all the zingers. Daphne comes out on top in this scene, and it's not because I think we're meant to agree with Daphne over Simon, but just the way it was written, they give all the momentum and all the all the witty lines to Daphne here. I'm more in the middle. I can't get over, I just can't get over that this is the first time the Duke is explaining this, but the Duke is telling her all about how he made a vow, and then she she just keeps coming back. Anything he, anything he tosses up, she just keeps swatting down. I made a vow on my father's deathbed. Yeah, well, you made a vow in my marriage bed. Just the one-liner coming back right at him. She even further clarifies, like, you told me, and this, everyone who's listened to this knows how important the difference between can and won't is to me just there's just 
too big of a difference for that to be blended together. We've already talked about this, but she's she is speaking for me here, and she's just like, hey, you told me you can't have kids. That is different than you won't have kids. And so he explains the situation. I made a vow, all of that stuff. She then... She takes one step away and then turns around. And this is cold. This is cold as ice. I hate this when it happens to me. We've all been there in life. A moment like this where you've explained yourself. And then that person walks away and they turn around. They go, wait a second. Let me understand. They're almost trying to be like, I'm going to say this so you can see how dumb this sounds. Now, whether you agree with Daphne or Duke, that or the Duke, that's not the point. I keep calling him Duke as if that's his name. That's not the point. I happen to mostly agree with everything Daphne is saying here. Again, her actions, terrible. But what she's verbally saying, I am agreeing with in this scene. And Daphne does, she does it. She does the turnaround like, hold on. Let me get this straight. This is all just because you made a vow to a dead person. That you just won't have kids. You're just going to deny yourself happiness because of a vow. And so she's discounting how important this is to the Duke. But of course she is. She's stuck on her side. A little bit more unstuck, like we mentioned. But she's on her side and he's on his side. So of course she's trying to convince him that she's right. So she's not being a good empathizer or partner in this situation. Because she's discounting completely how much this actually means to the Duke. But what she's saying, it does make it sound pretty dumb. Like, let me get this straight. This is all just some personal vendetta against a guy I've never met, against the person who no longer walks the earth, right? You would rather, and she has a line, your your hatred for your father outweighs your affection for me. What a good comment. The writing for Daphne, and the, they gave her all of the good one-liners the good comebacks she gets all of them in this scene but she delivers them well and it it really i I was like yeah daff you tell him he's being dumb yeah and all of those lines really hit for me um they talk about how they're going to be miserable together or happy apart and as she leaves as she leaves she says my courses are due in a few days once that's done, you will see which vow you have broken and then leaves the room like, oh, immaculate television. The only thing I would change about this scene is give the Duke like something because they're very Daphne. And I'm with mo- I'm mostly with Daphne in terms of what she's saying and her opinion on the situation. And I'm mostly against the Duke because I think his his insistence on not telling Daphne and clarifying the situation is inexcusable. But I wish... Because Daphne has wronged him. Daphne has assaulted him. And I wish they gave him some kind of comeback in this situation just to make it a little more even. But overall, this whole scene was riveting. I enjoy. I enjoyed it so much. We get a Whistledown voiceover, and the Whistledown voiceover has a lot. Whistledown is talking about um, the, the risk and the reward, and the higher the risk, the higher the reward. And she's kind of laying the stakes out for the audience here. It's very, very tense. There's a lot of good editing between all of these um, shots as Whistledown is talking. I'm getting a little bit tired at this point in the episode. This is like the fourth or fifth shot in this episode of the of Daphne and the Duke. Walk- Daphne is, I just got to say Simon, so I don't think I'm calling him Duke. 
Anyways, um, this is like the fourth or fifth shot of, of Daphne and Simon walking past each other and like looking at each other and then continuing to walk. And I think it was a little overdone in this episode, but it's still effective. Whistledown is talking about nuptial bliss over top of this, which is just super ironic and awesome. We get a quick cut where the queen is very mad that Lady Whistledown didn't mention her luncheon in the main events of the of the week. Again, I, again, I was like, this is just Penelope. Penelope has done something here. I don't know. It's just one of those things where, where Penelope gets kicked out of the party. Like, it has to be... The the only reason La- Lady Whistledown wouldn't have mentioned the party is to have something to do with the Featheringtons because they're the only ones who got kicked out of the party. They're the only ones who have anything negative to say about it. So I'd, it's a little bit on the nose, but we love that. My favorite part of this voiceover, though, is the Duke who keeps checking every morning to see if Daphne is with child. And he walks in, he looks, and he walks out. No conversation, no nothing, just, I'm in, I've looked, I've walked out. Very, very imposing, very confident, very, it was a, I don't know what I felt during that, but I loved it. I loved it. It made so much sense. It's another show, don't tell moment. He's in his position. He knows where he's at. He knows how to walk in, check, walk out. The quiet confidence of that. I really, I really loved that. Colin and Anthony have one of those scenes. It wasn't really an important scene, but they have one of those scenes where you both kind of fucked up, so you're both trying to apologize, while you're both trying to make fun of each other, and you're both trying to justify yourself. So that was really funny. Anthony pours him a drink and says, yeah, maybe I was a little bit wrong. And Colin's like, yeah, you were kind of right. And I don't remember how this scene exactly broke down, but... That's that's the gist of it. It's very cool. And then Colin um, knows about Sienna, which is really funny. Anthony's talking about all of this stuff with love, and Colin's like catching. I'm like, shut up, Anthony. You're with that opera singer lady, Sienna, and he knows about it. And it's just a very awkward, funny. I have two brothers. It's a very brotherly scene where you're like, something's happened, and you just got to apologize, but you don't want to admit that your brother is right, but you know he's kind of right, but he's not totally right, and the, the the finesse of this scene was really, really good. The subtlety of it was awesome. We're getting ready for the big ball at the end of the episode now, and Eloise would like to go. Mama Bridgerton is like, you know, coming out into society should be a cool moment in a young lady's life. Are you sure you want to do this? And she thinks that's why Eloise wants to go. Eloise wants to go because she wants to talk to the queen about Lady Whistledown. And Mama Bridgerton has this like look on. I put, yo, <laughs> WTF, why do you need the queen? Like Mama Bridgerton doesn't really understand, but that's okay. So Eloise is going to go to this ball. Daphne and the Duke are getting ready. Daphne and Simon are getting ready for the ball as well Daphne's doing this little stomach rub and the Duke is watching and it's just heartbreaking in that moment I the tension between them is perfect in this episode the tension between them is absolutely you know miserable together or happy apart and right now they're miserable together and I the way they've stuck with this theme all episode is just very well done and sits with the characters so well There's a lot that happens at the ball. Firstly, Benedict goes in hot for some information from Mr. Granville, pings him out immediately for a conversation. He is just trying to figure out what is going on between Mr. Granville and his, I want to use the word boyfriend, his partner. Obviously, in this time, it is not societally acceptable to be gay. It's probably illegal. And Benedict is is talking about what about honor? What about romance? Like, shut up, Benedict. Like, get out, get out of here. Like, what about honor? It felt I felt so soap opera. Like, what about honor and romance, Mr. Granville? Anyways, Mr. Granville goes into this really cool heart to heart. Like, look, 
I love this man. And we can't even look at each other in public. We have to disguise our touches. We have to pretend like we don't know each other or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he says, but that's the that's the gist of it. He says he risks his life stealing glances, disguising touches. And then he says, you have no idea what it's life or like to love someone so much and have to feel like you're living oceans apart. And oh, just sneak in the episode title in there for a couple that we didn't know it was going to be about. Great subversion. Very well done. And then he tells Benedict, it takes courage to go against what society wants. And the I wrote, good advice, but you're not doing it publicly. You're doing it behind the scenes. And I'm not sure if that's what he meant. But obviously, if he did it publicly, then he'd probably be in jail. And so I understand what he's saying. It was just... That comment caught me off guard a little bit, but I agree with the sentiment. I'm glad he's telling Benedict this. It's just the, the Granville Benedict Ocean Depart scene. It's a small scene. It's not that important, but I think it does a lot for what the show is trying to tell you as a theme. It does a lot for Mr. Granville's character, who I've really come to like, and it does a lot for Benedict as well. After this talk with Mr. Granville, Benedict decides he needs to leave the ball. This is perfect because Eloise just got finished being told by the queen that she is fired from her job, and she has, she has this great moment. She's like, but, 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 but. But my my theory, and she, Queen's like, get out of here, child. I don't need you anymore. I've hired like professionals to do this, which she should have just done from the beginning. And she's trying to say, like, we're ending Lady Whistledown. And Eloise is like, no, 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 no. Lady Whistledown has to fix this Featherington situation first. You can't end her until Penelope's honor is restored. And Benedict and Eloise meet up, and he's like, yo, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. And she's like, yeah, I'd love to leave. So Benedict is the hero. And they leave. And Benedict, obviously, after that conversation, is like, yeah, I don't care what society has to say. So he's going to go pick up the other person. You know, he was in a three-way earlier with Lucy Granville and the Modiste. We know that Lucy Granville is at the ball. So who is he going to go pick up? The Modiste. And I wonder how the Modiste knows she's being picked up right now. I have no idea how the Modiste got the... did, Did he send word ahead? How did the Modiste know to just be ready for a carriage from Benedict? I'm not really sure. Eloise slowly clues into what's happening here and that they're in some sort of relationship. Benedict's like, Benedict has the funniest sibling. Like, please don't tell mom. Like, <laughs> such a funny sibling moment. Then Eloise has this awful flashback. I'm not going to talk about it. She has this terrible, awful, no good, very bad flashback about, oh, the Modiste has to be Lady Whistledown, and it flashes back to things that happened in this episode, and I hate it, and we're moving on. Finally, we're at the end of the episode, and this is overlaid with a lot of really tense music. Uh, it's really it's building that momentum into the last episode here. There's a lot to pick out. The first thing I know is like, yeah, the Duke and Daphne have their own box, and the Cowpers are just in the middle of everyone else. Suck it, Cowpers. We don't like you. Sienna is there, and Sienna's with a new man. So Anthony's up in whichever box he's in, and he's staring down at Sienna, whose new man... At first, I was like, why is Sienna here? Was she invited to this kind of thing? Why Also, why isn't she the one performing? I guess it's an orchestral performance and not a, a vocal performance, but still, I guess uh, Sienna's new man is kind of like Anthony, but unlike Anthony, invites her to things. But I think Anthony... I don't even know. Anthony, did Anthony ever invite her to anything? I don't think so. No, yeah, this guy is unlike unlike Anthony. He uses his wealth, and he doesn't care, and he's going to bring Sienna to the, the fun stuff, and Anthony doesn't do that. So Anthony's looking up, and he's pissed, and Marina is there making some... At, at first, I was like, why are we watching Marina make tea? It all gets explained later, but we cut to Marina 
making some tea and the music from the orchestra still playing over over this scene as this is happening as the music is playing the duke holds daphne's hand and i need to watch the next episode to to know but the way this was acted to know how i feel about it rather but the way this was acted you you can see that he feels broken i i recollect that he looks like he's gonna cry a little bit and he's just he also he's he and her both know they need to fix this and just don't know how. So he goes for the subtle hand grab and she doesn't pull away or anything. She just kind of lets it sit there. And well, well, I wish the show gave us more time. Obviously, by next episode, something's going to have to happen to fix or at least partially fix this relationship. Probably just completely fix it. But I wish we had more time for him because he, he was assaulted and we need more time to sit with that. And I don't think Daphne was held accountable to the point she needs to be for her actions. There was a few scenes here where the Duke stood up for himself. And considering we know there's two episodes left, that's enough for me. I wish they'd maybe gone to 10. This is something we can talk about after the season. Go to 10 and let us sit with two or three episodes so the Duke has more time to really sit with what happened and, and talk to Daphne about it and really make her kind of have, have more consequences for her actions. But... The show is the show, and, and that handhold was really effective for me, and the way he just looks a little broken, like, I, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to try this. I thought that was that was very effective and, and evocative. Of course, at that moment, too, during this handhold is specifically when Daphne's courses come. They come at the perfectly terrible time. She's in the middle of watching this, and her courses come. She runs into a back room, and the Duke knows. The Duke knows, and his facial expression doesn't change. I don't... Re- I, my recollection of this scene might be a little off, but in my recollection, his face doesn't really change. He just kind of knows that that's what's happening. And so he's just he's just in his head. He's not watching anything. He's not looking anything. He's all in his head space, just breaking this down inside his brain. So we don't know what he's thinking or how he's feeling about this. And I like that because it gives momentum to the next episode. How is the Duke going to take this? Miss Bridgerton, Mama B, sees from her box that Daphne is running away from Daphne's box with the Duke. And Daphne runs into the back room where I know there's not a lot of courses technology. You know, we have pads and tampons and a whole bunch of things. I'm not even going to try and pretend like I know anything about this. But we have we have new tech. We have new tech in, in 2021 to deal with courses. It's been around for a bit. And so it's here. We have it. Surely, is that just how they dealt with it in the Regency era? There's just plates of 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 courses. Surely, those napkins weren't just for people who are on their courses. But what was a plate of napkins just randomly doing in that room? I have so many questions about the napkins, and I don't want any answers. I don't think because I feel like I don't want to know the answer. But is that just the setup? Do you just have to leave? plates of napkins around in case anybody just around has their courses because there's no other way of dealing with it is this how it worked this seems like an awful system but i can't think of a better one i i don't it just it felt i was like there's just a plate of napkins and i'm glad they're there imagine if they weren't there imagine what would have happened if the napkins weren't there oh god i didn't even think about this till right now daphne though is just broken to her in her own head surely she's thinking this was my one chance to have a kid because he's not sleeping with me again this was my one chance to be pregnant and i'm not and she's just crumbling and trying to figure out her courses and her emotions and 
and just what this all means to her. And this is all good momentum because the episode ends here. So we don't really know how this is going to break down. Mama Bridgerton runs in and kind of consoles her. I'm glad she didn't take that that kind of um, yelling at by Daphne earlier too personally she's still a mother she under i think she understands that she messed up but she's not going to hold it against daphne daphne just needed to get that out there and, and, and it doesn't it doesn't inhibit her from being a mother in any way and i really like that reaction from my bridget to just go she knows something's wrong she runs into the room she hugs daphne i think that was very very lovely a very motherly thing to do and then the episode ends and i they ended on the shot of daphne and they end it on the shot of Daphne and Mama Bridgerton, I believe. But the zoom in of Simon's face should have been the ending. Why? I, I, I wanted them to end. Once they cut, they cut from Daphne and Mama Bridgerton to the zoom in of Simon's face. And I just wanted it to cut at the end. And then it cut back to Daphne and Mama Bridgerton and then cut to the ending. And I was like, oh, missed opportunity we know how Daphne feels we know what's happening in that room we don't know how the Duke is thinking about this we don't know precisely what's going on in his head so let us sit there let us zoom in on his face let us sit let us sit let us sit let us sit and then cut miss missed the perfect ending they landed the plane but there's a little bumpy there's a little bumpy on the landing it was fine but I think they really missed an opportunity to cut on the Duke's face and that's going to do it for episode 7 of Bridgerton entitled Oceans Apart. Thank you guys again so much for listening. These podcasts are longer than the show, and I didn't know how people were going to take it. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that says, hey, I love the deep dive into these episodes. I love how long these podcasts are, which is good because I love talking about them for this long. This is honestly one of my favorite things to do each week is record this podcast. So thank you guys so much for all the support. Just a reminder, Twitter is at Let's Dive Deep. If you want to give a follow there and interact with me, interact with me there, I'd love to. I'd love to do that. Email is letsdivedeeppod at gmail.com if you want to let me know what you thought about episode 7 or just what you think about Bridgerton. If you have anything you would like to send me for the finale, or not the finale episode, but the end of season review episode, in the next episode for the finale, I will start in the intro with letting you know exactly how the post-episode 8 episodes are going to go what we're going to do to kind of break down this season there's going to be a few of them so i'll let you know but any feedback you have about the podcast or the show is more than welcome in the email inbox otherwise just thank you so much for listening and we will see you in a couple of days probably a week i'm a little bit busy with work right now but um, hopefully not that long we'll see you in just a couple of days for episode eight and the finale of bridgerton cheers everyone